is so good to be here this morning. Uh, we, I love this church. We, my family. Oh, hey guys, how you doing? It's, uh, uh, it's just kind of funny. I'm sorry. I have ADD. I, I keep seeing people. We, we've been back for a month, and there's been people I haven't seen yet, and, and so I see them, and it's that whole squirrel thing. I just... Uh, um, anyway, uh, it's so good to be here. We, we love this church. Um, my wife and I were married here back in 1996, and this is our home away from home. And some of our deepest, uh, most cherished relationships are with people in this church. And this, we love to come here. And we have been loved by this church. Uh, we have partnered with this church down in Brazil. Uh, we're able to do what we do down in Brazil, planting churches and sharing the gospel, making disciples, uh, large in part because of this church's investment and partnership with us. And um, we love you. And we are so thankful. I don't want to grace this pulpit without first saying thank you. Um, we love you guys. And I, I'm excited that I get to share some things with you this morning. It's always, it's always kind of fun um, because I, I don't preach here, obviously, every week, every month, or even every year. Only every couple of years when I'm back, I'm able to come up here to share some things. I get to kind of look over the past couple of years of my life and see what, you know, what, what's God been teaching me. It always seems like there's a theme. There's like one big thing that God's trying to beat into my head every year. And um, this, this past year was, was no different. And so I'm excited that I get to come up here and uh, share what God's, been, um, what God's been teaching me. And something that you need to kind of understand about me, there's a lot of people here who don't know me, which is really cool. Every time I come back, there's lots of new faces, which is awesome. Um, but I consider myself kind of a simple guy. I mean, not like, like if you ask my wife, she'd tell you I'm pretty complicated. I am. There's a lot of layers to Lucas. Uh, but I, when I think about things philosophically or theologically, I, I like to try to dumb things down, simple, uh, simplify things, so I can get my mind around them, so I don't know how to, how to apply them or act on them. And I believe that, and Scripture leads me to this belief, and even the teachings of Jesus lead me to this belief that we can simplify the pursuit of God, the act of pursuing God, and, and we can simplify what it means to follow Jesus. We can simplify that down to one word. And that word, this is going to be a shocker probably, that word is love. Jesus taught that, Scripture teaches that. that we, can, we, we really can simplify the Christian life down to a single word, love. And what I want to do this morning is I want to open up 1 John. Because God's been using 1 John in my life this past year. He's been teaching me a lot of things. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. In John, the apostle who wrote 1 John, um, John the apostle was known as, referred to as the disciple who Jesus loved. And right here in 1 John, which is a short book, short letter of only five chapters, but in those five chapters, John uses the word love over 40 times. John has something he wants to teach us about love. So let's, let's jump in there. In 1 John chapter 4, you can open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. And let us allow John, through the Spirit of God, teach us about love. And all we're going to do is about five or so, six verses that we're going to jump in here. We're just going to look at the verse, chew on it, and apply it. So we're going to start right in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And that says this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love 
is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love is so central that John says it is the mark, the proof of a genuine relationship with God. It is the proof of salvation. Do I know God? If you ask yourself that question, do I know God? You answer that question with another question. Do I love people? If you love people, if your life is marked by love, that is the proof of your genuine salvation, your genuine faith, your genuine relationship with Christ. Love is so central and foundational to our identity as followers of Jesus that Jesus himself said, as recorded in the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says to his disciples, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love is crucial. It's foundational. It's what marks us. It's what must identify us as a follower of Jesus. Or, to put it in a negative way, if you profess to know Jesus, if you've been baptized, you've prayed a prayer, you are involved and serving here at Sailorville, you've done all the right things, but do not love people. You do not know Jesus. Now that might sound a little harsh, a little extreme, a little black and white, but look at verse 8. That's what John says. Anyone, verse 8, anyone who does, not anyone, who does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. And John doesn't mince words here, right? He's kind of the bare-knuckle discipler. He kind of lets us have it. If I say that I know God, but do not live a life of love, I am lying. Because the essence of God is love. And to know God, and the effect of knowing God, who is love, is to love people. And that needs to sink in. That needs to cause some deep self-examination. Do I love people? I mean, really, do I love people? When I think about my relationships, when I think about how I spend my time and my money and who I put first, and do I love people? Or do I have a dead faith of only words and no action? I need to either repent and obey Jesus and start loving people, or I need to repent and believe in Jesus because I've never actually believed in him. In the words of John, I've got some deep introspection in my own life. I mean, this past year and even these past weeks, just thinking, Lucas, do you love people? And I have to examine my own, my own self. Is, is my faith for real? Or am I just playing the game? I'm just part of a religion that makes me feel good and it's easy. It's part of my culture. As I examine my life, I see that oftentimes the only person I'm loving is myself, and that is not the fruit of a man who knows Jesus. 
So at the very least, it, in us and in myself, it's caused repentance. And at the very least, it needs to cause repentance in us. And maybe in some of us, a repentance towards true belief in Jesus for the first time. Love is so central to knowing God that we can measure, and I don't like that word, but it's the best one I can come up with in my limited vocabulary. But love is so central that in a sense we can measure the health of our relationship with God by our love for people. My relationships with others informs me about my relationship with Christ. If I don't have healthy, loving relationships with people, I don't have a healthy relationship with Christ. If I'm not actively loving people, I'm not loving Jesus. Now that reminds me of a story this, um, this past year, like towards the beginning of the pandemic, like in the March era, March time frame, we had a couple in our ministry down in Brazil. And they're dear friends of ours. They're an older couple. They've been married for 48 years. And they are, they are people of influence in our ministry. They're leaders in our ministry. And just a wonderful uh, couple. They're fr- friends of ours. They love Jesus. But during the beginning of the pandemic, their, their marriage was hitting some tough times. There was a lot of tension and fighting and... and um, so it wasn't good. And they wanted to meet and talk about it. So we invited them over and, and we sat down and we're sitting back in my back patio. And it, the, the image is so clear to me. Uh, Sandra, who's the wife, and she's just bubbly and energetic. Wow, energetic. And she, uh, she's talking about her relationship with Christ and, and how awesome it is and how... how um, Every morning she gets up and has these rich times of devotion. She'll just spend hours studying the scriptures and praying and worshiping, weeping, having these deep, intimate times with Jesus. So here's this image to my left here of Sandra. She's gushing about her relationship with Christ. And see, next to her is her husband, Paulo. And Paulo is weeping. As she's saying this, he's weeping because he feels so unloved by his wife. And Sandra, like us, didn't see the disconnect. She thought that she could love God without loving her husband. And I referenced this passage here in 1 John. And I said, you can't say you love God if you're choosing not to love your husband. You are lying to yourself. You can have great prayer time and great study of the word, but if you are not loving your husband, you're not loving God. And we have to make this connection between our relationships with people and our relationship with Christ. I love God in proportion to my love for people. Think on that. I love God in proportion to my love for people. And I think the opposite is the same as well. I love people in proportion to my love for God. They're connected. I cannot say that I have a great love for God if I don't have a great love for people. And we can't hide behind 
the sins of the people in our life. You might be saying, but Lucas, you have no idea who I have to love. But our relationships, the way we love people, informs us on our love for Jesus and our relationship with him. Right now, we can look at our relationships and they will inform us on the quality and depth of our relationship with Christ. So let me summarize it by this. Not every person who loves is a follower of Jesus. Don't, don't fall into that ditch. Not every person who loves is a follower of Jesus, but every true follower of Jesus loves. But this is only true if we define love like God does. In the next two verses, John helps us begin to understand and how to, how to define div, uh, divine love. So let's look at verses 9 and 10 just real fast. He starts out in verse 9 and says, In this, the love of God. He, he kind of repeats himself almost in verse 10 and says, In this is love. He, again, he's trying, he wants us to understand. He's trying to define, help us understand what love is here, divine love. He says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. Now, there's a lot of theology in those verses. But let's simplify it. Because I like to simplify things. In the same way that we can summarize the Christian life with one word, and that word being love, we can define the idea of love also with one word. And that word is Jesus. Jesus defines for us divine love. God manifested love through Jesus. He revealed love through the life and death of Christ. Jesus was divine love manifested. So when we think on the life of Jesus, those portraits, you know, say a portrait, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? As we think on those portraits of Jesus, those snapshots of his life, they define for us divine love. So when Jesus was, was talking to the woman at the well and gave her, showed her mercy and compassion, that mercy and compassion was God defining love for us. And when Jesus washed, in great humility, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, that action of humility was God revealing and defining love. And this love crescendoed all the way to the cross. When Jesus was dying in agony on the cross, looking at the people who falsely accused him and unjustly nailed him to the cross, he asked God to have mercy and to forgive them. To me, that's a portrait that is so hard to get my mind around. He asked God to forgive them. And that action of mercy and forgiveness towards his enemies was a revelation of divine love. And Jesus dying for the sins of the world on the cross, giving of his life, that action of sacrifice is the manifestation of divine love. And the act of the Father 
offering forgiveness and grace to us sinners who don't deserve it through the death, burial, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is a revelation of divine love. Jesus is the de- definition of divine love. The mercy, the grace, the humility, the forgiveness, the service, the sacrifice embodied in the life of Christ reveal and define for us divine love. This is the love that marks the lives of every true follower of Jesus. And again, do you want to know how your relationship with Christ is? Look at how you love the people in your life. Do you see mercy, grace, humility, forgiveness, service, and sacrifice? A greater presence of divine love in our life signifies a deeper and healthier relationship with Christ. And the absence of this love signifies, at best, an immature relationship with Christ. And at worst, no relationship at all. We don't really know Jesus. We're living a lie. Verse 11. Verse 11 is kind of a bookend, in a sense, because he kind of repeats what he says in verse 7. He says, Beloved, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 12, this is where I want to jump to. Really, everything I've said up to this point is to get us to verse 12. This is really where I wanted to go. I could have just started there, but there are some things I think that were important in that first part. Um, verse 12 has been powerful to me, but it starts out in a very strange way. Because the last, since verse 7, really the whole, all through the whole book, but since verse 7, he's been talking about this idea that we love each other, love each other, love each other, love each other. And then verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God. You're like, um, okay, John, I don't know. That seems weird. Like, it's like whiplash. Because out of nowhere, he says, it almost seems like he changes the subjects and starts talking about the invisibility of God because he's spirit. No one has ever seen God. That phrase is fascinating, but we're going to come back to it. Okay, so we're just going to shelve that for a second because it's really important to what I want to get at this morning. We're going to put it to the side real quick and jump over it and kind of look at what he says after this. That's going to help us understand what he means by that and why he seemingly, why he put this seemingly discongruent phrase at the beginning of the verse. He says, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. And then he goes on, if we love one another, God abides in us. I'm going to stop right there. Now, we believe that every true follower of Jesus has God abiding in them through the Holy Spirit. And that's an incredible thought. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and God dwells in us. But I think the idea here in verse 12 of God abiding in us is pointing to two different things. The first is this, that when we actively love each other, and it's what we've already kind of touched on, but that when we are actively loving each other, that forgiveness, the mercy, the grace, the humility, service, and sacrifice... We are giving evidence that God is actually abiding, uh, abiding in us, that we truly are followers of Jesus, which we've already touched on and talked about, that loving people is the evidence that I love God. But this also has the idea, I believe, this idea of God abiding in us, that it speaks to our, our actual relationship with Christ, that abide, uh, carries the idea 
of a close, intimate relationship to the Father. And if we love one another, God abides in us. That loving people is not only the evidence that we truly love God, that loving people is what actually deepens my love and my relationship with Christ. If I want to deepen my relationship with Christ, I do that by loving people. And that's what I think John is, is saying when he goes on here in this verse. When he says that no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's what I think he's talking about there. When I love people, God abides in me and his love is perfected in me. Loving people develops, deepens, and matures my love relationship with God through Christ. Loving people is the evidence that I love God and the very act that deepens my relationship with Christ. We love God more by loving people more. This truth will change and simplify your relationship with Christ. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, you think, man, what do I need to do today? What, what does it look like to pursue God today? How do I follow Jesus today? Really simple. Love the people that God's put in your path. Love people. That's what he wants you to do. That's what he's calling us to do. Love people. Not the way we want to love them, but with divine love. Mercy, grace, compassion, forgiveness, humility. But let's put this idea back into the, the verse, the context, because we've got to look at that first phrase, the whole invisible God thing. When we put it back into the context, what it's saying is really, to me, it's really cool. And I hope it, it grabs your attention like it's grabbed mine. When we love people, we make the invisible God visible. That's what he's saying. God's invisible. But when you love each other, you make him visible to the people around you. We become, through our loving actions, this divine love, or you could say it this way, is God loves people through us. We become a revelation of Jesus to the people around us. And that is what he's calling us to. Through love to make the invisible God visible. To be the revelation of Jesus to the world. That is an incredible thought to me. And that needs to impact the way we live and interact with people. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit with uh, a story um, from this past year. I think it's important for us to really get our mind around what, what I mean by this, and what this looks like, and what I think um, John is teaching and what it means to, to love people with divine love and to be a revelation of Jesus to them. So I just want to help us understand this and unpack this a little bit because um, I saw this unpack before my eyes down in Brazil right before the pandemic happened um, and during the pandemic there was a young couple, young couple, young family, young couple, and his name is Jefferson, and her name is Natalia, and their marriage was not doing really well. It's interesting, through the pandemic, we've, it seems like Teresa and I have done a, a lot of marriage counseling. You know, when you throw people together who don't spend that much time together, and they realize, wow, it's really hard to live together, even though they've been married for years, you know. And then you, like, throw the kids in there, and, you, like, and, and the parents realize maybe it's the first time that their kids are really annoying, 
you laugh, but there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in that whole thing. That's true. And there's a lot to unpack there about how we have unloaded our responsibility to train and to teach our children to schools and to even to, we've hired pastors to raise our children. That's a whole other story. Sorry, can't get into that one yet. Maybe you can write me back. I'll talk about that. But um, so we um, we spent a lot of time with couples, and this was this was a tough situation. Jefferson and Natalia they, they split up. They, she moved out. Things were going rough, and he he came, and uh, we started uh, we started to meet together. Yeah, things just weren't good. I mean, his his relationship with his wife was terrible. His relationship with Christ was terrible. And then after she moved out, his young daughter um, revealed to him that his wife, her mother, had been in a relationship with another man for the past year. And Jefferson was crushed, as you can imagine. We started to meet together and talk. And when we first started to meet together, all he wanted to do was talk about his wife and complain about his wife. And he had every right to do that, right? But I said, look, Jefferson, we're not going to talk about your wife. We're not going to get together to talk about your wife. I'm not going to let you. And I just kept cutting him off. Every, every time we got together, I'd cut him off. No, I'm not going to talk about your wife because you can't change your wife. The only person you can change is yourself. So we're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about your relationship to Christ and your, rela- your relationship to your wife. So that's what we did. We started talking about him. We started to challenge him and, and get him to just start to pursue the Lord. And we started to work together. And it was cool. It was, I mean, it started to started to grow spiritually. It was exciting. And I told him, I said, look, hey, Jefferson, um, we sat down one day and I said, look, uh, Jefferson, um, God wants you to be the revelation of Jesus to your wife. Now, that didn't go over very well. I told him that, <laughs> right? He didn't want to be the revelation of Jesus to his wife. I remember that one of the first times we got together, I said, hey, hey, Jefferson, I want you to pray for your wife. He's like, Lucas, I cannot pray for my wife. I can't do it. I said, okay. That just kind of give you an idea where he, where he was at. And then when I told him, look, um, God wants you to be the revelation of Jesus to her. That, that didn't go over very well. And I said, I said, Jefferson, you need to forgive your wife. He's like, Lucas, she doesn't deserve my forgiveness. Probably true. But I said, Jefferson, if you forgive your wife who doesn't deserve it, in that moment, you are being a revelation of Jesus to her because he forgives us even though we don't deserve it. I said, Jefferson, you need to, you need to love your wife. And she says, how, how can I love my wife if she's disrespecting me? In, in our culture in South Brazil, that's a big deal. I said, Jefferson, if you love your wife even when she's disrespecting you like this, in that moment, you are being a revelation of Jesus to her because he loves even while he's disrespected. We started talking some more. I said, look, Jefferson, you're not innocent in this whole thing. You've blown it. You've, you've sinned against your wife in other ways. And I said, Jefferson, you need to own your side of it. You need to go seek forgiveness from your wife. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, yeah, I've done some things that are wrong, a, a couple of small things in his mind. But my wife, she's at least 80% wrong. How am I going to go and own up the 20%? She's, she needs to own the 80% first. I said, but Jefferson, if you go to your wife with great brokenness and humility, seeking forgiveness for your part, 
that humility is a revelation of Jesus to her. I mean, this is supernatural stuff, right? This is not worldly love. This is divine love. But this is what it means to be a revelation of the invisible God. This is what gets people's attention. And it was cool to watch what God started doing in Jefferson's life. You know, the goal was never to bring them back together. That was never the goal, right? We didn't really have control of that. The goal was for Jefferson to start pleasing the Lord and being the revelation of Jesus to his wife and the people around him. That was the goal. But God did some miraculous things, and his wife repented. God started working in her life and came home. And she repented, and then he repented and together. And Now, they got a long road ahead of them, but right before we came back to, to the States, we had them over for dinner the first time, them together. She confessed her sin to us and asked forgiveness. And Now, they got a long road ahead of them, but look, this story of restoration that's being unfolded right before us, as they choose to work through this and love each other and that couple now is is becoming a revelation of Jesus to the people around them because they are looking in and seeing something that's supernatural. They are, through this difficult process, they are being a revelation of Jesus to the people around them. And God, that's what God is calling us to, to be a revelation of Jesus to the world through love. So here's my question. Are you? Is your life and relationships marked by divine love? At work, at school, at home, in the community, at church? Through forgiveness and mercy and grace and humility, service and sacrifice? Are you revealing Jesus to the world? Husbands, Are you revealing Jesus to your wife? The way that you love her and forgive her, protect her, serve her? Do you humble yourself before her, seeking forgiveness? Wives, are you being the revelation of Jesus to your husbands? Do they see the grace and compassion in you that's in Jesus? Parents, Are we being the revelation of Jesus to our children? What image of God are we giving to our kids? Do they see the service and sacrifice and humility, mercy and compassion? Kids, teenagers, are you being the revelation of Jesus to your parents? We need to examine ourselves. If we profess to know Jesus, yet do not love the Apostle John would call us a liar. And there is no doubt in my mind, like myself, there are people in this room who are followers of Jesus and the Spirit of God right now is saying, look, you're not loving people, you're not revealing Jesus to the people around you. You need to repent. And allow God to love people through you. But you might think, Lucas, you have no idea how difficult this person is to love. Well, look, God loves them. And if God loves them, he wants, you, he wants to love them through you. But I'm also aware that there may be people here right now who are religious. They acknowledge Jesus. 
as being the son of God. But as they look at their lives right now, the spirit of God is showing them that there's not real love, true love, divine love in their relationships. And that's their understanding right now that that's because their faith in Christ is not real. The house of cards. And Jesus calls you to repent and believe in him as your savior. To know real love. God loves you. He wants to shower you with his love through his, in his forgiveness through our faith in Jesus. And when we come to know real love, he, be, he fills us, he changes us, he fills us, and then he wants us to love people the very love that he's poured out in our lives. God's calling us to be the revelation of Jesus to a world that desperately needs to see it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to, to open the scriptures and to share these things out of 1 John. And Father, I just want to pray real quick here, Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit would apply this each person, the way it needs to be applied. It's going to, Lord, it's going to take the Holy Spirit for us to understand the decision that we need to make. Is it simply re- repenting from our disobedience and choosing to love people with divine love? Or if it's the decision that, and the realization that I'm not loving people this way because I, I don't know divine love. I've, I've never experienced it. I've never believed in Jesus as my Savior. Lord, I believe that your Holy Spirit will do that, will give us some clarity in the decision that we need to make today. Father, our relationships inform us on our relationship with you. Lord, help us to understand that and help us examine our relationships so that we can better understand really how we stand with you. Father, raise this church up to be the revelation of Jesus to this community, to this world who desperately needs to know him. In Jesus' name. Amen.